middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we need to be in the doldrums of summer, coming off of Father's Day, and well, at least half of the fathers on the show are here to do the show this week. <laughs> With that, we welcome you back into the Keeper of the Games podcast, uh, hoping to get our own day on the calendar, on your calendar. It seems like it's every Tuesday these days. Appreciate all the support. This is episode number 71 on the CogPod, the only podcast focusing on sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. I am your host, Blake Cripps. As I mentioned, Tommy Castor is the father not on the show, but we are joined by the other dad on the program, Weston Mills. Weston, how is your Father's Day? Uh, it was pretty good. It was the the first one for me, so uh, it was it, definitely kind of That's right, a little different. Right? Did you, did you yeah. get something this year? Well, how, how is it different? did uh got you know got a little gift for my daughter but it's just it was weird hearing you know happy father's day directed at me for the first time i dropped my daughter off to daycare on friday and the the young lady who takes us out you know takes my daughter from the door and, and kind of takes her into the room uh said hey happy you know happy father's day weekend and i was like oh man that's weird to hear i mean not that i <laughs> didn't want to it's just weird did to- you feel when you heard that Right, I mean, exactly. I was kind of looking around, like, "Oh, is there a dad behind me, or what's the deal?" But no, it it, it was it, it was pretty cool. It was uh, it's definitely a little different when when you are a dad. So we had a good time. We went back to Wichita and visited both grandpas as well. So uh, got some got some good time in on Father's Day. Yeah, the, it's kind of interesting. You and Tommy are celebrating your first Father's Day on the same day here in 2021, right? That's that's absolutely right. Yeah, kind of kind of interesting. So anyway, happy Father's Day to both of you. Uh, more to you than to Tommy because you actually bothered to show up. Cogsports.com <laughs> is where you want to show up to view our content. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at CogPod. Facebook.com, just search for Keeper of the Games or Facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games. And the best place every week for the podcast, for the audio listeners out there, of course, is cogpod.podomatic.com. But we flow, we pretty much throw it everywhere on the internet. Spotify, iTunes, Apple, and all the rest. And the videos, of course, on Facebook or on YouTube, if you dare. Coming up on the show today, should there be a private school multiplier in Kansas high school sports? Really interested to get into that conversation. It's been something that's been talked about for a while here in the state. Also, Wichita State basketball in the middle of their June workouts. And there is a lot to talk about in terms of what the team is going to look like next season. And we don't really actually know who all is going to be on the team for sure just yet. But we start today with the state of the Kansas City Royals. And it's time to get back to one of our favorite games to play on the show. Coming into this week, the Royals on an off day today as we record. So as you are viewing this, you will be getting ready or listening to this. You'll be getting ready for a trip out to the East Coast for Kansas City as they will play kind of bouncing back, kind of a weird way that they structured this road trip actually, as they will head out to the Bronx to play the New York Yankees for a three-game set beginning on Tuesday the 22nd through the 24th with 6.05 first pitch times for the first two games of the series. Getaway day on Thursday. First pitch is at noon central time, 12.05, so 1.05 start time for those of you out locally there in the Bronx. And then they're going to come back to the central time zone. They'll play the Rangers down in Texas. Arlington at 7.05 on Friday, then a mid-afternoon game on Saturday at 3.05, 135 on Sunday for getaway day. And then they're going to go back out to the East Coast to play the Red Sox. 6-10 first pitch for that series beginning on Monday. They'll play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and that's actually a four-game set. This is, I believe, the longest stretch of games the Royals have had. They do not have an off day until the All-Star break. That comes on Monday the 12th. All-Star break is the 12th through the 15th. One more home series before then, and then a four-game set with the Indians to wrap things up. How did they do the last week since we saw you last? Kind of a mixed bag. Uh, Mostly, though, disappointments. So, since last Monday, when we 
were watching the Detroit Tigers start what turned out to be a three-game sweep of the Kansas City Royals, beating them down 10-3. Royals went on to lose the next two games in that Detroit series by one run apiece. So yes, the lowly Tigers sweep the Royals again. If you want to be an optimist, you would point and say, well, they beat the Red Sox two out of three games to win that series. 5-3 Friday, 7-1 on Saturday, and then 7-3 on Sunday. The Royals beat the Red Sox in games one and three of that series. However, when you go all the way back, the Royals have now lost uh, three of their last four series. They were swept by the Angels. They, were, they lost three of four to the Athletics. They lost all three to Detroit. So Weston, from where I'm looking, objectively, I know that there's plenty to be optimistic about after beating a team like the Boston Red Sox, very good team near the top of the American League East, if I'm remembering correctly, um, but still struggling mightily to beat the terrible Detroit Tigers, giving up a lot of games in the division. And if they had played a little bit better against the Tigers, remember the last time that they played the Tigers, they at least they won that one two or three. The time before that, they lost three in a row to the Tigers back in the second week of May. They had won a couple of these Detroit series, Weston. Might be having a totally different conversation about what state the Royals are in right now. Yeah, and it, i got to go back to the beginning of the season when we – talked about the Royals they were in a hot streak you know then they had that losing streak and, we, and then we kind of sat down then obviously the hot streak we we're all excited and, and you know I think you definitely were one to point out say hey bump the brakes hold on look at the look at the teams are playing but you know, <laughs> I, but I did but even you know I, I want to even kind of go a little bit more f- forward because after that losing streak I think we all, all three of us I think were pretty adamant like consistency is an issue right I mean you have this stretch yeah, sure. of good baseball then you have stretch of bad baseball and and really that is a you know bird's view of the team but even within specific players the consistency was not there from really anybody outside of maybe salvador perez salvador Um, perez and danny duffy on the pitching staff those two guys were amazing everybody else was just Whit Merrifield had a pretty decent start, if I remember, to yeah, the season. Yeah, that's correct. But there was nobody else that you could really hang your head on and say, he's really going to break. Yeah. Nicky Lopez, believe it or not, was the other guy who started well. Yeah, so, you know, and really fast forward to now, and we're looking at the exact same issues we've been looking at all season. It's just tipped in the direction of losses and losing baseball and the poor side performance of, you know, some of these players. And it's so frustrating because you still do get great moments. Like, you know, last week we talked about the bullpen. The bullpen had been has been really good in stretches. Really good. But having sure. a good bullpen doesn't help when your starter's already given up six. You know, and same with the bats. It's like, boy, Benintendi was great, but he gets hurt. And we have to talk about that now, right? I mean, that's part of this. Mondi has looked fantastic in the 25 at bats or whatever it is he's had. But again, you have to go back to consistency. You talk about consistency if you can't stay on the field, because if you are not producing. I'm glad that he actually got to play for a change. Right. You know, and it's obviously it, which kind of segues me into, I guess, Coming to what I want to talk about as far as wh- what do we look at? What is wh- what does this team look like moving forward? And so obviously we got the news today. Maybe some heard, maybe some haven't. Montessi is going back on the IL with a oblique strain. Um, sounds like he was pretty crushed by that. Um, you know, and, and I tweeted earlier today. I mean, I, I think... Everything with Adalberto Mondesi needs to be examined. I mean, the training routine, the the medical staff, you know, whether it's it, it's his headspace. I mean, I, I certainly am not blaming it on him at all. Some of this is just bad luck, but it all needs to be examined because it has been a disaster for getting him on the field. And again, fully admit it, it could just be bad luck. But at this point, when you have a star baseball player and this continuously keeps happening, you at least owe it to yourself, the fans, the organization to go ahead and look at what what's happening. What are our processes? Is there something that's not working in these processes? Or again, is it very much just possible that, hey, look, it's just bad luck. Guys just are injury prone sometimes or sometimes they're not even injury prone. It's just unlucky. But it, it needs to be examined because this team needs to have a consistent lineup in my opinion to be even for us to even sit down and say okay what is this team right it's hard for us to really pin 
a position and it's important going into all-star break and ultimately that trade deadline of what is this team. But when we haven't been able to even put together a consistent lineup, not in and nine out, um, you know, you just can't get that evaluation and it's going to set the team back really for the future. If we don't have a good judgment come trade deadline and either we, you know, mistakenly march forward towards the playoffs and trade away a future piece to try to strengthen this team or on the flip side. I mean, if this team, you know, is, Hey, maybe we can make a run down the stretch and maybe they don't make it, but maybe, you know, there's a determination that, Hey, look, it's worth it to make, to have these young guys at least play meaningful baseball down the stretch and it doesn't work. Okay. But they got to make that determination based on what this team is. And I just don't think we've even been in a position to really get a great read on that. Uh, I mean, I, I guess if, you, if you're going to force my hand, I would lean towards, look, this is a, this team is just not very good and it's not going to make the playoffs if, if you're forcing me. But I truly think that the evaluation at this point is kind of flawed because we haven't been able to even have a consistent lineup out there. Well, and you, you and Tommy mentioned, I, I mean, I think you especially mentioned that you thought that Royals management thought that they could win this year. And, you know, I previously had pretty much said, okay, that they're on drugs if they think that that's the case. You look at what Albert, Adalberto Mondesi has done this year in the very limited time that he's played. He's a 13 for 36. He's hitting 360. If you have an Adalberto Mondesi that's in that spot in the lineup, playing the kind of defense that he can play and hitting over 300, that's going to cover a lot. And the Royals have a lot that need to be covered because Danny Duffy was great early. Who knows when we're going to see him again? Salvador Perez has been fantastic. There's one guy that we need to talk about. Hunter Dozier. Three for five Mm. against Boston on Sunday. Those were the only three hits that he has in the last seven games. Weston, I'm done with him. We have got to find a solution for his position in the lineup because he has not he does not bring enough to the table defensively to cover up what he's he's hitting 150 so I think it's 151 right now. I have it somewhere. I think it's 151 that he is hitting right now. That is not good enough. He has I I, I have said every single week of the show if Jorge Soler and Dozier keep hitting the way that they are, the Royals have got no shot. And Hunter Dozier has been given time. He has been given patience. I know he was hitting the ball really hard earlier in the year. He's hitting a buck 57 right now. Jorge Soler is hitting 183. Those two guys are not getting it done. They have combined for what? They, they have combined for 13 home runs, but they've got 135 strikeouts among them in less than 100 and what, 100 and. Uh, 20, 118 games, I think is what they've played. Less than that. Not good enough at all, right? 118 games. Not good enough. So what do you think is the solution for Hunter Dozier? Because as you mentioned, there is a problem with not having anything better at the next level to replace that person with. Danny Duffy went out. Royals have still yet to find that solution for Danny Duffy's place in the order. Still has not pitched since May 12th. And, I mean, I looked again. Did you see a Danny Duffy update? I didn't. I I have no idea where this guy is. This guy could be in Jamaica for all I know. Okay? So everybody that the Royals have brought up to try to replace Duffy has gotten absolutely shelled out of the building, barely getting to the second inning, sometimes not even that far. Alberto Mondesi is an injury waiting to happen. He is made of paper mache at this point. And that's, I'm not trying to be disrespectful of Alberto Mondesi. When he's been healthy, he's been great. But this season, I'm not talking about long term. I'm saying this season, you cannot plan on Alberto Mondesi playing for more than one week at a time. You can get a week out of him, and that's about it. So with all of these other holes in the lineup, Hunter Dozier is giving you nothing. He had no hits in six games last week until finally he had one three for five against Boston. Congratulations. That's not good enough. He has The Royals are a put-the-ball-in-play kind of a team. They're very low in strikeouts, very low in walks. But when you put the ball in play, you've got to, when you're a put-the-ball-in-play kind of a team, you have got to get value when the ball is in play. Royals are not getting anything out of Hunter Dozier right now. They have got to find a solution for him, his swing. I don't know what the solution is. Hunter Dozier is a problem offensively right now for the Royals. 
Yeah, frankly, I don't know what kind of options uh, Hunter Dozier has as far as you know moving him back and forth from the the big league to the minor league roster. Sure. But truly, I, I mean, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, I think I was talking about. Um, Brad Keller getting the Mike Moustakis treatment. It, it's not even. It's not doing Mike Moustakis justice to say that Hunter Dozier deserves the Mike Moustakis treatment because Hunter Dozier is not even established in the way that Mike Moustakis was no. when he, you know, had to go through his minor league stint. To me, there's no reason. And look, is it embarrassing for Hunter Dozier? Yes. Is this professional a professional sports team? Yes, it is. So I don't care. He needs to go down, and and it's for his benefit. It's not because. It's not because we don't think that Hunter Dozier can be a asset to the Royals team. It's because he's not doing it right now, and he needs to find that. And he needs to find that against pitching that isn't costing the Major League team wins. Uh, So I'm with you. I I think they've got to do something with him, and frankly, I think it would benefit him to go remind himself that he can actually crush the baseball. Let him go, you know hit some moonshots off some minor league pitching and then, you know, come back up and, and do a little bit more. But, I, you know, I, I, to you, often say, well, what's the other option? That's not a valid argument, I don't think, anymore with Hunter Dozier because, I mean, anybody, I mean, you know, Kelvin Gutierrez has took taken some at-bats from him, um, you, you know, and, and some of the other guys as well, and whether that's minor league guys. And I don't even mean, you know, we always talk about Nick Prado and, and Bobby Witt, but, you know, you see Ryan O'Hearn and, and Ryan McBroom both hitting down down in the minors, and, I'm you know, I'm not suggesting that they're the missing piece, but those are guys that could – flex up to the big league level to you know see what they have when we know because we know what we're not getting out of hunter dozier so i'm with you on that and the only other thing i'll I'll kind of mention on the royals as we're you know maybe wrapping up this this part is uh, i'll give you another name that i feel like we have not talked about enough we we do this from time to time and last time i think we brought it up it was sal we're like man he's been fantastic we hardly ever even talk about salvador perez but another name that i think we're missing who's kind of the man that was next to Danny Duffy is Mike Miner, who's been very, very steady. Uh, you know, and you, it's not he like has been. you weren't bringing him in to be an ace. He's not an ace, but he has been a very steady, consistent arm that I think without him, you know, they would have, the Royals would be in an even worse position than they are. Uh, and this is coming from Tyler. Oh, you have nothing without him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this is coming from uh, Tyler Durking on Twitter, and I have no idea what his credentials are. I just, it's a tweet that went viral. But in the last uh, eight <laughs> starts, Mike Miner has a 3.58 ERA, 55 strikeouts to 10 walks. He's ate up 50.1 innings, which, again, that's fantastic knowing how bad some of your other starters have gone, you know, with getting into the game and relieving the bullpen a bit. Um, and he's so he's got six starts with six or plus innings and three starts uh, with seven or more innings. So a fantastic out of Mike Miner. That's that's been a big win for Dayton Moore bringing him in. And, and you got to, you know, look at a few of these staples that have kind of held this team in a position where, look, it's not out of the realm. It's not out of the possibility that they could make a run. There's still a lot of baseball left. I'm not saying you should expect it, but they are not out of it quite yet. Well, they're getting down there in the standings, and I do need to to point out for Mike Meyer, Minor, you know the Royals. He's you have to judge him a little bit differently, I think, because he is not. He was never supposed to be the ace of this staff. Right. He was supposed to be a guy that comes in, gets innings. I mean, look at what he's done. He has not lasted less than five innings in a game since April. April. Over his last, how many starts? It would be over his last five starts, six starts. He's given up over four earned runs only once. I'm not saying this is, you know, uh, some great feat that he's accomplished here, but he, he, whenever the Royals put him on the mound, they got a shot. He is giving them a chance every yeah. single time that he's out there. He's not spectacular, although I would say and he gave up nine hits in six and two-thirds innings against Boston, but only two earned runs, did give up the dinger. Royals had a chance to win that game against Detroit. Five and two-thirds innings, four earned runs. That's going to happen with him. He was really good in that. You remember that Oakland game? I got to watch that game on Valley Sports because, hey, I actually was at a place that had Cox, the only place you can get the Royals these days. He was <laughs> tremendous in that Oakland game. Really good. Lasted seven innings against Minnesota. Didn't even have his best up. He gave up three home runs in that game and was still able to eat up seven innings. Contrast that 
to, is it your guy? I don't remember if it's your guy or if it's Tommy's guy, but your guy, Bradley Keller. Have you seen what this guy has put out there recently? Pretty bad. In June, in June, opponents are hitting 311 on him. 311. His whip is 1.75. So he is averaging two base runners per inning that he has given up. If it, a 1.0 is considered pretty good, 1.0 is actually considered amazing. 1.5 is kind of, and 1.75, that's a train wreck. The last starts that he's had, three in a row, he's given up five earned runs in all of them. He has not lasted more than five and a third innings at all over his last five starts. So he is not extending games. The last quality start that he had was all the way back on May 25th at Tampa Bay when he went seven innings and gave up just one earned run. And let's not even go back to what happened in April when he was maybe the worst starting pitcher in baseball and opponents were hitting 366 off of him. So... He he settled things down in May, but June is not going well at all for, for Mr. Keller. So we'll see how the Royals turn out. The standings look like this. And you mentioned still in the thick of it. Yeah, I guess before the All-Star break, but Chicago 43-29 and 29, leading the American League Central. They have been really good, by the way. I think that they're way better than I thought that they were going to be. Yeah. Plus 88 in the run differential, second best in the American League. Cleveland is second at 39 and 30. Then the Royals at 32 and 38. The Royals are 10 games off the pace in the Central, and they are nine and a half games off the pace in the Wild Card. So you could say, no, oh, you know, they're in the thick of it. They can get back into it. How many teams come from over 10 games down in the wild card after the All-Star break? I understand there's an additional wild card now, and that makes things a little bit different. And But here's the thing. The wild card teams, if the playoffs started today, Weston, Oakland, they're 44-29. and 29. Oakland's freaking good team. Houston is the team that's tied with them, and only by percentage points is Houston ahead in the American League West. I don't see the Royals catching either one of those two teams. So that spot, you could just pretty much kiss it goodbye because they are they are 11, 10 and a half games back of those two teams. So they're gone. So the next team that they would have to catch is Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's a hell of a team. They're 43 and 30. They have really come on here since starting a little bit slow to begin the season. Didn't have a great last 10 games. They're 4 and 6, but they're 43 and 30 and they're one half game back in the American League East of Boston. So this you, you can't make this mountain a whole lot taller to climb because you just won't have time. Royals are not going to be good enough to make up 10 games in the win column over the last 2 months of the season. I don't think. We'll see. Royals, as I mentioned, they're off today. Then they've got the New York Yankees, and that will be coming up for you tomorrow. 6.05 first pitch. 6.05 on Wednesday as well. And then they'll wrap up the series on Thursday with a day game. Three games at Texas after that on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then the four-game set with the Boston Red Sox before they finally come home. The next chance for you to see them up there, Weston, in your neck of the woods, will be Friday, July 2nd, 4th of July weekend against the Minnesota Twins. And then the last home games before the All-Star break, Cincinnati coming to town for interleague play on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for the Royals at Kauffman Stadium. So that is our Royals talk for today. Uh, and please, somebody, where's Danny Duffy? Can we get some reporting? Can we get an update on this? Can somebody tell me what Danny Duffy is doing? I, I would like to know. Anyway, moving on to high school sports. Not really the time of year that we typically talk about that. But this has been a talk, a topic of conversation for a number of years not just in Kansas, but around the sporting nation. Private schools versus public schools. Some compete against each other in the same classifications, like it is in Kansas. Other states use a private multiplier, where the population of a private school is multiplied by a certain amount in order to make sure that private schools are playing against bigger schools. And some states actually separate out one from the other like Texas. Texas has the University Interscholastic League for the public schools and TAPS, the Texas Association of Private and Parochial Schools, I believe it is. I'm not for sure. That might have the acronym on that. So you have a 
private school champion and a public school champion in Texas. And both are very highly regarded, UIL and TAPS. You get recruited out of both in Texas. There is a proposal, and this is documented by Taylor Eldridge. You can find his tweets online, and it's also in the Wichita Eagle, that the KSHSAA, the Kansas State High School Activities Association, has passed a multiplier proposal by the executive board, a 9-0 vote. This happened last week. It would move private schools up one classification from public schools with a similar enrollment. It's just a proposal, 18-member committee, they're addressing the alleged issue of private schools winning a disproportionate number of state championships. It does not pass based on that. It has to be passed down, and it has to be passed by the entire state of board, school administrators, and all the schools get a vote on this, basically. So there's going to be regional admin meetings that will then return back to the board. They can either call a special meeting for a vote, or they could wait until their annual meeting. That would be, of course, in April of 2022. And if it is passed then by a majority on the executive board, it would be sent out for a vote by each school. They would need a majority from member schools and a majority from each of the six classifications. So the way that I understand it is one classification could blow the whole thing up. If, you know, class 6A decides that they don't want it, then it's not going to be approved to become a KSHSAA bylaw. Weston, you were a public school athlete in a small town. I was a public school athlete in a big town at Topeka West. Now, but when I say public school athlete, I mean that I, I well, let's be honest, I rode the bench for the entire <laughs> season and I played approximately 15 minutes the entire year. Shout out to Chad Eshbaugh for at least letting me get in the game and sweat on my uniform for two seconds. But what are your thoughts on this private schools versus public schools? It seems like this has gone from being not really that big of a deal. I don't ever recall it being a big deal when I was playing. Now, obviously, it's something that everybody is focused on. How do you see this playing out? And what's your opinion on whether or not public schools and private schools should be separated by a multiplier that would move public schools into a higher, possibly, classification? Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely love the multiplier multiplier proposal i think it's a it's a fair intermediate and i think it makes sense in the state of kansas compared to texas where you know i mean if you look at, at kansas and i i certainly don't have the number of private schools in front of me but it just to me doesn't it's gonna it, be it a doesn't lot less. quite make sense to make them compete in their own league i think that you know it's gonna burden be a burden on on costs and, and those sort of things and you're you know like i said there's not that many schools so they're playing you know the same number of of teams all the time whereas a multiplier kind of makes things a little bit more even across the board and I, and I understand the old argument and I think we've talked about this before that you know well why are you know why are teams crying about this so just do better go beat them well okay that, that's fine if you're talking at the college level the professional level high school athletics is different you know one I, Certainly, I'm not going to pretend like, oh, it's just for the fun of the game. But l let's be honest. There is a social aspect to this of a lot of schools that, hey, look, kids need something to do after school to keep them out of trouble, just to, you know, give them entertainment, blah, blah, blah. That, that absolutely is an aspect to it. That's the primary right? reason. But for the, athletics, and then for with, sure. with that kind of a step up from there, you have plenty of kids that are, are trying to get that opportunity to go on and play at the next level. You know, and I and I think right kind of in there is where I start to have the problem with when you have these private schools that, I mean, flat out recruit, right? I mean, it's not they don't need to hide that because they're allowed to offer scholarships, do do whatever they need to do to, to you know to make their athletic program better if they think it's in the best interest of the school, um, to compete with these smaller schools. And and I think one of the perfect, I think kind of to me the glaring one is Bishop Miege up here in Kansas City. You know, they're size wise, they're 4A, and they absolutely dominate year in and year out. I mean, but they're so good, though. If you look at really across their sports, whether that be basketball, whether that be volleyball, whether it be football, when they're up here in the Kansas City Metro, they're playing other Kansas City Metro schools. And, and it's competitive. They're beating a lot of them. They're having close games with some that they lose, you know, and that's 5A, 6A. And then they get into the you know the the four A games that they're required to play because they are a four A team, 
and they just run run out the gym. And I don't, to me, it's, and it's not just a one-sided conversation. It's not about just about those kids that are getting beat that, you know, Hey, look, man, this, this sucks. Like this is their only opportunity to go win a state championship. And then maybe they're done with their athletic career. Um, but on the other side, the kids that are at those private school, what are they getting out of you know, playing against this, the, the weaker competition where, when the same thing they're trying to go on and get on a college scholarship. And I get it. Like if, you know, especially I think one that always comes to mind for me is Bishop Meage basketball. Look, they're, they always have one, two, you know, a few kids that, Hey, look, they're D one guys. It doesn't matter who they're playing. They're going to play in their summer session and they're going to get recruited no matter what. How about that guy? That's, you know, maybe the, the, the first guy off the bench for Bishop Meage. He needs he needs to have tape, you know, probably to, to get some recruiting, to get some opportunities. And when he's playing against lesser competition, that, that doesn't benefit him either. So to me, it's a it's a win win from both sides. It's not just about the kids that are just getting, you know, walloped by these private schools. I think it, I think it benefits these kids that are at a private school as well. Now, be, having an opportunity to play more, you know, m- more teams of the same competition and, and better themselves put more tape out there for college coaches and really why would we not want the whole the process as a whole to be more competitive the more competitive is the better product it is for everyone so i'm all in i i think to me this is a no-brainer and i hardly even see the downside i I don't quite understand what the argument would be and i'm sure you i i think i already kind of know your argument i think you're kind of along say along the same lines as me for the most part but i'd love to if you if you kind of have the idea of what the devil's advocate is i i just don't see the downside to doing this not sure that we're as aligned as you think we are mr mills okay okay let me ask you a question how many public schools do you think recruit I would argue that it is a non-zero number. In fact, I was told by high school coaches back when I was covering Bishop Carroll in the City League that Wichita North had an all-city team that was just happened to be playing for other public schools in the Wichita area. So all of these schools are recruiting, as far as I'm concerned. You can... This is probably much less once you're getting down into 4A, 3A, 2A. When you're out in these little communities, I certainly don't think that Rossville is only good because Rossville's recruiting. There's no, you know, not a whole lot of places for them to recruit from. I'm not, I don't think that, you know, Hanover up in northern Kansas, I don't even know if Hanover still has a high school, but back in the day, they were unbelievable and they want. They had Wildcats. Actually, they did. They won the D2 championship. Hanover. Hanover is not good because they recruit. But at the same time, these schools that are in Wichita, in Kansas City, don't tell me that none of the Blue Valley schools are recruiting. Okay. Don't tell but, me that none of the but, schools in Topeka are recruiting. Let me interject because I agree with you. There, there's no doubt that happens. As a matter of fact, I can tell you at Andel we had some guys that came over because they wanted so to be a part of our wrestling program. So why is it only program. a problem because of the public schools doing it and not the, 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 the private schools can't do it. That's so unfair. But the public schools are basically allowed to get away with whatever they want. Well, the difference is, though, is that when you're being recruited, as you're saying, to a public school, it's, hey, come play with us because we want to we, we want to win, blah, blah, blah. Usually there's some sort of connection that coach coach someone in in Little League, blah, 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 whatever. The difference is with the private school is, hey, Come to our school. We'll pay your tuition. Your tuition is Do you paid know for. That You're that's a fact for private every... education for free. Do you I... know that that is the fact for that that is true for every private school? Because I know I think for a it's... fact that it's not. Bishop Carroll does not offer scholarships. Oh well, yeah, no, I, and I I do agree with that, and I have not heard of that at Bishop Carroll. But like for instance, Bishop Miege. That, sorry, and, and sorry. I guess not, my brain always kind of goes to me age because they're kind of the one that dominates. There, they are. You look at all, pretty much almost every sport except for uh, swimming. I guess. I mean, they're not. I guess they're no good at uh, stags. Can't swim. I guess. Other than that, <laughs> they're pretty much really good at at almost everything. Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking here. Bowling. I don't hear about them from bowling that much. But you know, 
I know that Bishop Carroll does not offer, at least when I was covering the team, I should say that. Maybe something's different. Athletic Director Tyler Frazier, you could call me out on Twitter if I'm an idiot now and I don't know what I'm talking about. But back in my day, when I was the voice of the Golden Eagles, they did not offer scholarships. If you wanted to get into Bishop Carroll, you had to be recommended through a Catholic parish around Wichita. And yeah, there were kids there that were not living inside the Wichita area. However, they were living inside of a Wichita diocese church area. They went to an introductory school that feeds into Bishop Carroll, and that's the way that it worked. Here's the other issue that I have with it. Public schools beat the private schools. Let's take a look at Class 5A football. Wichita Northwest, the Grizzlies. They're the best team in the City League right now. When I started covering City League football, Steve Martin, just been hired off of, God, Rick Wheeler's staff, I believe, at Wichita Heights. Probably recall his name, won a couple of state championships with Heights, one undefeated season, I believe, in the City League for him and the Falcons. And Heights was dominating the City League. With Bishop Carroll up there, they were kind of neck and neck. But Heights was the best team in the City League. When Steve Martin showed up at Wichita Northwest, Alan Shuckman and the Golden Eagles were beating their brains out. They were winning by 40, 50, 60 points per game. It wasn't close. The 2013 game was very close, but in 2012-2014, Coach Martin's kids got blown off the field. All of a sudden, 2015, 2016, 2017, did Coach Martin go and cry about it? Did he go and mope and pout and say, oh, God, Bishop, I just can't beat Alan Shuck? No, they got better. They got players. I'm not saying that they recruited. I'm not saying that they did or did not recruit. I don't know. You can go ask Coach Martin. What I'm saying is he did what was necessary to make his program a winner. And at this point, they are the best program in the City League. No disrespect, still Bishop Carroll still my number one school. Always will be. You're number one in my heart. But Wichita Northwest is the best program in the City League. So why in the world should Bishop Carroll be forced to play up just because Bishop Miege is beating everybody's brains out in 4A? That's the only thing that I'm saying. That's fair. Every single class and every single situation is different. Let's look at your Andale Indians. You remember Substate, Class 3A, on the way to a 12-0 season? Can't believe you forgot. Probably on a Weston whip around, to be honest. Did you see that Wichita Collegiate score? 49 to nothing Indians. Go ahead and smirk. I know you're going to. You like the score. So you're telling me the Wichita Collegiate needs to play 4A football? They got beat by Andale by 49. And I'm not pointing that out to make Wichita Collegiate feel bad, by the way. Coach Black is a great coach. He's got that program moving. There was not that long ago the Collegiate, not real good in football at all, actually. They've turned things around in the ABCTL. They're, they're a player right now. They're going in the right direction. So I'm not pointing it out to make them feel bad or to diminish their accomplishments. They're a good up-and-coming football team that I think is going to make a run at 3A and be a state championship contender. But they are no Andale at this point. So I, I, I'm going to throw it back to you. With that information and with my point, Explain to me again why all of the public schools and all the private schools have to be treated this or, or can't be put into the same division. Because from where I'm sitting, the public school, when's the last time a private school won 6A football? I, I can't think of the last time a private school won 6A football. There aren't a ton of private schools in 6A, maybe not even any, you know, 5A football. Mill Valley won this year. They defeated another public school to win the football championship in Mill Valley. It's really just 4A basketball that's the problem. So why are we going to change the whole class for Bishop Miege boys basketball and Bishop Miege girls basketball? Yeah. Okay. So you know what? That first of all, that that it, you do make a lot of good points, and I I can't admit, Blake, when you make good points, I can admit. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. So, and like I said, I obviously you know. 
I'm looking at this through a lens of, of Andel. Andel being used to be in 4A, and that was a lot of problem for them. So then also being up here, seeing Bishop Miege and seeing what they do is a lot of, I think, what I, I focus on. Um, I, I will point out, because I, I feel like really the last few shows, I haven't really made it about me, but I just want to make a quick side note and say <laughs> that my senior class, 2008, was the last time uh, the Andel Indians won a 4A state championship. They have not won the yeah, 4A state championship since we all left. So, I mean, I think we uh, went out on top. Anyways, I digress. Um, you know, that <laughs> that is a good point. Um, but I guess I want to go back a little bit. Maybe you can explain to me or maybe the details aren't clear yet. But I guess what is the process of the multiplier? Because I thought my understanding of the multiplier was... It, so it go it takes into account school size. So potentially not every private school would be moved up. I thought it's a, you have the school size and then it's multiplied by whatever they decide the multiplier is. And if that moves you into the next so class, it would. That is, is so that, that, right? that is a, a proposal. There, there are other oh, states okay. have implemented. It's, a, you know, it's a blanket multiplier where, okay, every private school okay. is times one point two five. You take your enrollment, you multiply it by one point two five. Whatever class you land in, you land in. If you're in the same class, hey, good for you. If you're in the next class up, too bad. If you're two classes up, too bad for you. So the um, there is a uh, a proposal, and this is actually in Taylor Eldridge's article. Once again, I can't. If you're interested in this stuff, I can't recommend this article enough. The article is titled. It's on the Wichita Eagle. The dateline was June 16th. Private high schools in Kansas could move up a class under unique multiplier proposal. So, if you want all the information about this, this is Taylor Eldridge's, you know, uh, latest reporting on it that I have seen. So, what would happen is it could be factored on geographic population. So if a public school was in an area that is mainly into 6A and 5A schools, then you could get, in the, according to this article, 0.3 added to your private school multiplier. So for example, if you are in a private school in the same area as a class 4A or 3A public school, then you would get a 0.15 public, uh, a private multiplier. So you'd be timesing your, uh, your, your uh, population by 1.3 if you're a Bishop Carroll or a Capon, for example, uh, uh, Wichita uh, Collegiate Independent, or if you are a uh, if you're in a, a smaller area where you've got a 4A or 5A school or a 4A or 3A school, then you'd be timesing your multiplication to 1.15 of your total population. Um, the the other factor that they are looking at possibly, which would go back to your point of hey maybe it's Bishop, Bishop Miege, would be your state championships in all sports that the school has won over the previous five-year period. So if you get to a point where you have won more than 10 private championships as a private school over a five-year period, then you would have the 1.3 multiplier. And it would be, if it's between five and nine, you would have the 1.15 multiplier. So if you are a very prestigious, very uh, accomplished private school like Bishop Car Carroll or Collegiate or St. Thomas Aquinas, another one up there in your area that seems to do very well in girls basketball, among a lot of other sports, football with Randy Dryling up there now, Bishop Miege, you would get the 0.3 multiplier. But if you are at a school that does not have that kind of success, like maybe a, uh, you know, like Hutchinson Trinity, for example, they didn't win their state championship at their class last year. You would not mm -hmm. necessarily be subject to that same process. So after the process is completed for each school, that multiplier would be used in the school's enrollment and would be that number to sort them into classification. However, they say that the proposal would not let a private school move up more than one classification and it would not make a private school playing eight-man football move up to 11-man football. So I know that's a lot to digest. How do you, would that be something? I think if there's going to be a multiplier, for me to be on board with it, I think it would have to be that sort of hybrid thing of, okay, you 
look at the total number of championships and then you can make a multiplier based on that. I would almost like it to be sport to sport. So if you have a, a school like why should Bishop Miege, when they're not any good at swimming, why should they have to jump up and compete against better swimmers? Just because I know that there are some sports that have you know less classes because there's so many fewer schools that have swimming so that may not be mm-hmm. a very good example but in, in sports that you know a school is weak at why should the weaker team if bishop miege volleyball is really bad and i don't know that it is i'm just using it as an example why should they be punished just because their football team and their basketball teams are really good uh, bishop miege volleyball might uh, actually be better than their basketball program shout out to uh, really? coach kathleen rush who just recently retired um so yeah, but in so this in exactly what we just talked about. So this is kind of where I go back to my, you know, I get what you're saying about Bishop Carroll, but as long as we're putting in procedures with this multiplier to, you know, attempt as much as possible to make it fair and not to punish a private school just solely for being a private school, then to me, I go back and just think it makes a lot of sense. And I'm with you. I like, I kind of like the the model where it's like, Hey, let's just focus on the teams that are really dominating and winning because ultimately look, if they're just winning a lot, but not winning state championships, well, again, no reason to, to punish them or make them move up just because solely it's the, Hey, let's, let's not let one team run a state championship for 20 years, you know, winning, 80% 80% of it, like that doesn't benefit anyone, but let's focus on that then. So I, I like you, I like the hybrid model and can, would really want, would push for the state to focus on something along those lines. Last question for you, Weston. If the KSHSAA came to you and said, Andale, we got to hit you with a multiplier. You're dominating 3A football too much. Are you okay with the same rules that apply to the private schools being applied to the public schools if they are, I guess this doesn't matter for a school like Derby because they're already in 6A, so you, you can't do anything to them. But um, are you okay with the same rules being enforced for pu- pu- uh, public schools as private schools if they are the teams dominating at, at a specific sport? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know how you couldn't be, right? I mean, if you're going to make the argument that I did that, hey, look, it's about competitive fairness and, and it's benefiting both the team that's getting dominated and the team that's dominating, you know, I don't know you know, how I could possibly say I wouldn't be in favor of it then. And I, and I think it would. I think it would be good. And, and the other thing to keep in mind, again, with the multiplier, and this is kind of why I like using the multiplier, you know, if Andel is like barely, and they're not, they're one of the larger three A's, so a multiplier would easily kick them up to four A. But if you do have years. a, sm- right, right. If you were a smaller three A though, and you're like, man, I know we're dominating three A, but my God, we just are barely have the kids to do it. You know, you hit, get hit with that multiplier, you still may be in three A, sure. so it's not an end all be all. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that that it would be a good idea, but I think you really got to look at and and maybe look at other states to say hey what's been a good number on those whether you go state championships or winning percentage or you know those kind of things really put a lot of thought and time and effort into that i think that would be important moving on to wichita state basketball now yes the shockers are in action with their june workouts wichita state men's basketball with quite a few of their major players back but there are some key players missing according to reporting from taylor eldridge in the Wichita Eagle. Tyson Etienne is not there with the team. Of course, he is the co-AAC player of the year, and he is currently still in the NBA draft process. He has still got about two more weeks to decide his fate. It's July 7th. That's the deadline to get out of the NBA draft and return to Wichita for another season. Dexter Dennis, Morris Udeze, and Kenny Poto, they are also being told to stay home. Uh, Dennis and Udeze, they were encouraged by Coach Brown to stay home in June to work with their personal trainers. This article was datelined June 17th. It's eight thoughts on Wichita State men's basketball players here for June workouts. Wichita Eagle, I guess free advertising for them today. Um, um, so a lot of things going on with Wichita State basketball and and Weston with having so many of the guys back because you've got Ricky Council the fourth, 
is in workouts right now. Joe Pleasant is in workouts right now, along with Craig Porter, Jalen Ricks, uh, Matt McFarland. A lot of these guys that I think they believe they have a chance to contribute, I think Coach Brown believes they have a chance to contribute, they're all in Wichita and working out. Sure, it would be great if Dennis and Etienne and Udeze were there with them, but they're not, and maybe this is the best thing for those guys and, you know, after he was the coach of the year, I think I'm going to defer to to Coach Brown and let him decide what the what the best you know training for his team is going to be. I think he deserves to have that little grace period, I suppose. So, what are your thoughts on Wichita State men's basketball as they put in this time during their workouts as we enter the first season of the Isaac Brown era that will begin with everybody knowing before the season starts that IB is the head coach. Yeah, I'm not overly concerned at all that you know Etienne, Dennis, Morris, and uh, are, are are not present. Really, June and maybe others will disagree with me, but in my opinion, June is about individual growth and uh, you know making gains as an individual player. Not so much about getting the team now maybe team bonding team building sure but not necessarily continuity within an offense those kind of things are not what's being worked on in june it's getting they only guys get stronger four hours on court per week right now as a team so Exactly. I know, you know, and I, I we've seen mentioned, I don't know if you saw Ricky Council, uh, they talk about him being the weight room star. I mean, these when you get these kind of stories, you know, for, I mean, and, and those are important things, right? It's important for, you see it all the time, you're like, oh man, if that guy could just put on some size or play with a little more strength or add a little bounce to his game, you know, and those are the kind of stories, those are the kind of things you're seeing in, in June. I think another thing, I you know, I saw mentioned that Isaac Brown has kind of alluded to the fact that Clarence Jackson has kind of been the vocal leader of the group in June. And I think that's another thing that does give an opportunity for guys to kind of grow and learn who they are and kind of what their role is on the team. And I almost think to that end, it kind of does a little bit benefit some of the, those, you know, what I would consider the stars of the team, whether, you know, Etienne, Morris, Udezi, and, and Dexter Dennis, to allow some of those younger guys or not so much you know, not the prototypical stars to be able to to make that step forward and say, "Hey, I'm going to help lead this team." It only ha- adds depth, growth, and those kind of things to this roster. So, I think you have to be excited. It seems like there's a lot of you know a lot of positivity coming out of June. You take everything at those stories you get out of June with a grain of salt because it's no different than you know every NFL offseason that you hear. Oh, this guy's in the best shape of his life. You hear that every single offseason for one or two players, yeah. and you always take it with a grain of salt. So th- it does kind of come with that territory, but it looks like a lot of positive coming out of this offseason for IB. I'm really interested to see how Matt McFarland does. He's a big, lanky guy, six ten. Uh, 6'10", 210 pounds, so kind of a rail a little bit. How much can they get him bulked up? Remember, Isaiah Poor Bear Chandler is not going to be on this team anymore. And I'm not saying that Poor Bear Chandler was some sort of an all-star that's going to have to be replaced. Not a particularly good scorer, not a particularly good you know free throw shooter, but Poor Bear Chandler, I think, did give them some rebounding inside. You look at the minutes that he played. He only played 12 minutes a game, but he still averaged about four and a half rebounds a game. They're going to need somebody to pick that up. I think that Udezi, he's the player that I am probably the most interested to see how he will transition this season. He averaged 10 points per game last year, which is tied for second on the team with with, uh, Altariq Gilbert. Can he elevate his game to be like a Shaq Morris type of a player? Can he be a first-team, all-conference type of a contender? If he plays the entire season like he did at times at the end of the season, I believe that he could be a first-team, all-conference player. Maybe not necessarily player of the year like Tyson Etienne, but if you have Udezi take a couple of steps... And I don't necessarily even know what the steps would be for him in terms of his offense. I, I would certainly like to see him shoot a little bit better from the free throw line, 68%. be great if he could get that above 70%, get to 72%, 73%. And if he could be averaging you know, closer, he was at 4.7 rebounds a game last season. If he could be averaging closer to like 7.5 to 8 rebounds a game this season, maybe you score 12 points per game. 
13 points per game. You bring Etienne back, and obviously it would be difficult for him to have the same kind of season. It was such a weird year last year. You're going to have the full run-up this year, probably going to have the 10,500 there in the roundhouse. So all of the dynamics that kind of combined to create what happened last year are not going to be in play this year. Probably not going to have that long, at least we certainly hope not, that long coronavirus outbreak that kept a couple of their key players off of the bench earlier in the year. And, you know, it's a couple of those losses that may have kept the Shockers out of the NCAA tournament, potentially. You know, they, they have those teams and they start a little bit better. They get that win against Missouri. They get that win against Oklahoma State. And I think last year's team is pretty safely into the tournament, you know, not hanging around on the bubble at all last year. And, you know, with that, obviously in this hypothetical Disneyland that we're living in, that's a higher seed, that's a higher, you know, you're getting a better first-round opponent, so on and so forth. So I, I think that that's just going to give Wichita State a much better chance to have postseason success in this dream scenario. But looking at the overall picture, if you've got a guy like McFarlane who comes in, maybe he's a better poor bear Chandler, maybe he's a little bit more of a dynamic of a scorer, and Morris Udeze really steps up his game, and Ty Setien comes back and is the same or near the same kind of a player. Weston, I think you're looking at a top 25 team uh, and probably a, a team that's solidly in the top 25. Not only that, but a team that's that maybe is going to be in the top 20. And Kenny Poto, remember, this is Wichita State's first ever, or Isaac, I should say, I should say Isaac Brown's first ever, that's his first ever top 150 recruit. So he is thought of as being very, very talented. And he'll have a chance, I think, to compete for minutes a lot. So not having him on campus, yeah, it kind of makes you want more, makes you want to see a little bit more. And the other guy that I want to mention before I throw it back to you for your closing thoughts, Ricky Council. This is a guy that made 40 four percent of his threes last year but just was not that big of a part of the offense and you know you've got a guy like Altariq Gilbert he is not back on the team that's 97 three-pointers that the Shockers have got to make up Dexter Dennis God bless his heart didn't have a great year shooting the basketball last year we can argue about the reasons why that was I would argue I think you would agree and Tommy would agree when you're expending that much energy guarding the opposing team's best player pretty much every game and playing 29 minutes per game, you're just not going to have the lift on your shot that maybe you would otherwise. If Ricky Council can get more of those threes from Dexter Dennis, absorb the threes from Ultra Gilbert, all of a sudden you've got a guy who's scoring seven points per game who shot just 27 threes last year in 21 games, Boy, I'd like to get that number up a lot closer to a, to uh, you know a hundred threes this year. You could you put a hundred threes. That would be about seventy more threes on this guy. You're going to be looking at approximately what like thirty four more made threes for him over the course of a season. I like how that looks. Tyson Etienne coming back. Udeze takes a step in the right direction in rebounding. McFarlane solidifies that post player off the bench and Ricky Council makes more threes that's a really talented Wichita State team I, I the key for me I I think is Ricky Council I am so in on Ricky Council I think the raw <laughs> athleticism that he has which that in and of itself only takes you so far but but he's shown that he can shoot the basketball you got to have a bigger volume for us to say okay you're a 44% or you're a 40% three point shooter you know his number of attempts don't does not make me say, okay, he is that good. We'll see what he can do with the bigger volume. Sure. Uh, but I do think he's got that in his arsenal. But I think he's the key, and here's why. I keep hearing more and more buzz about Tyson Etienne. I I, I am feeling less and less... Going or staying? Going. And, and I say buzz mm. that he's getting a lot more interest from NBA teams. And these these are tweets I'm seeing here and there suggesting that you know he was invited to this workout at this time and this means you know X, Y, and Z. Um, and I would have not thought that at all two months ago. And not because I don't think Tyson Etienne is a great player. I do. And and that's how important. I mean, I think he's that important to this team that you know when you're going back and saying, hey, I could see this being a top 25 team. 
absolutely, I'm all in with you if they have Tyson Etienne. If they don't, I, I, I think this team could be good. I don't think they're a top 25 team. Um, I'm starting to see a little bit more buzz about Tyson Etienne uh, getting a little more interest from these NBA teams. So that's a big deal. And I think if you do want to pick up where you left off last season without Tyson Etienne, I think it has to be from growth growth from Ricky Council. I think he has the most raw talent uh, or I should say raw untapped talent because obviously he wouldn't he's not going to step in and be the best player at least I wouldn't expect him to but I think he has the most ability to take a huge step to feel fill shoes of Tyson Etienne so I'm excited to see what he can do uh, excited to see what happens with Tyson Etienne I hope he comes back um, but certainly you, you understand why a guy would say hey I don't know that I will ever generate more buzz than I am now, so why not go get on a roster? Uh, sure. You know, I get I get that. I'll never knock a player for doing that. But I do hope he's back because I think this team could be really, really special if, if he comes back. I, absolutely. I mean, I think if he comes back, you get all that production. I mean, I think you're looking at another American Athletic Conference championship for sure. Not to say that Houston's just going to roll over because I think Houston's going to yeah. be really, really good next year. And we'll have to see with who the other teams, you know, if anybody else in the American can Cincinnati, you know, kind of come back to life here a little bit. Um, be interesting to see how that plays out. But, yeah, if, if Ricky Council can become the kind of player that I think we believe that he can be and you've got Dexter Dennis as your lockdown defender, maybe he can shoot a little bit better. Maybe somebody else who's come in, maybe it's Poto, I don't know. One of those guys can come in and spell him for a little bit so that he doesn't have to always guard the best player. Um, that would be pretty, pretty special. I think that the team could be really, really good. Time to wrap things up. Yes, you know what time it is. It is time to hit the music. Time for our Wichita Whip Around. It is a look at the best stories in Wichita that we just didn't have time to get to on the show today. We will start with Mr. Mills. Give us your Wichita Whip Around for this week. Blake, I am going to stay in the Wichita State Basketball Arena, and I'm going to give you a story, sure. more of a development or details that have been emerging about the basketball tournament, the TBT, sure. as most know it as it. Uh, it was announced, they announced their 64-team field on Monday, which includes the matchup for the Wichita alumni team, which is known as the Aftershocks. Uh, the Aftershocks received the number two overall seed, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and they'll play the number 15 seed Expats, which is an all-star team uh, of former players from the Patriot League. And that first game will be Friday, July 16th at 8 p.m. Uh, their first game will be in the Wichita Regional at Coke Arena, which will be awesome. Uh, I heard only good things about I mean, two years ago, I guess, when, when it was at, you know, got to be at Coke for a bit there, too. Um, the Wichita State alumni team, if they win their first game, they would play either the alumni team for Kansas State, which is called Purple and Black, or for Creighton, which is called Omaha Blue Crew. Uh, and that would be in the <laughs> second round at 3 p.m. on July 18th. Uh, the four other teams that are in their pod is what they're calling them are number three challenges. ALS, number six, Team Arkansas, number 11, Fort Worth Funk, which is TCU alumni, and number 14, we are D3, with uh, the championship game being on July 20th. Um, I think at this point, a lot of a lot of the folks kind of know, you know, TBT's got a million dollar prize, and probably m most of our listeners, I think, probably are maybe aware of, of some of the, the roster for the aftershocks, but obviously all which former Wichita State players headlined by probably Connor Frankamp, I'd say would be probably the biggest name left with that with that group. Um, you know, obviously Connor being out of Wichita, also Takel Cotton, Terry Murray, Richard Kelly, Marcus McDuffie, uh, Sam J. Sam J. Haynes Jones, and uh, Daryl Willis, kind of uh, wrap up wrapping up that crew. So. Check it out, TBT. It'll be at Coke Arena. I'm sure if you get the opportunity to go, I, again, I've heard it was real a blast. It was a lot of fun. So if you can go, go. Uh, but and I didn't. I haven't seen details, and I apologize. I probably should have looked ahead. Um, a lot of times these TBT games are on TV. I think if I remember right, ESPN three. Um, so the streaming service, but I, I don't see those details in front of me, but that's where it's been in the past. So I would expect and, and certainly recommend that you check there first. 
And by the way, I want, do want to shout out to Samaje Jones, one of those guys you mentioned, former Wichita East standout, who literally jumped over the bottom railing from the floor after his Aces won the 2016 6A, 6A State Basketball Championship. Unbelievable Joe Jackson coach team. So shout out to him. Went on to be a shocker. I am going to go out to the Lynx, the Corn Ferry Tour, as Harry Hall, a former UNLV standout, 20 under par. He won the Wichita Open at Crestview Country Club out of Hale, England. Big congratulations to him. And obviously, one of the marquee sporting events each and every year. I don't, I hate that it's on the same weekend as the United States Open Golf Championship. Such a huge focus of the golf world, but uh, it seems once again, more people were getting out, getting active, getting involved in terms of the Wichita Open. And hopefully next year, it's going to be back even better than ever before. I know Roy Turner's already working on it as of probably like tomorrow. I think he's, I think he basically collapses for 24 hours. And then tomorrow he's going to be back on the phones. They do so much great work for charity in Wichita. So congratulations to Harry Hall, the winner of the Wichita Open. And that is our Wichita Whip Around for this week on the Keeper of the Games podcast. Time for our last segment of the show. Weston, any additions, corrections, or retractions? Yeah, so uh, an addition, I don't know if you saw this news. I think I think for the most part it broke today. Uh, Chiefs defensive end Frank Clark was arrested Sunday. Uh, was It was a routine Ooh. traffic stop. A uh, cop noticed a duffel bag inside the duffel bag. Uh, Frank Clark had an Uzi. Uh, so he was arrested for illegal possession oh. of a firearm, uh, which is a felony. Uh, okay. As of 4.05 Pacific bad. time today, so 6.05 our time, um, apparently the NFL star Frank Clark is claiming that the weapon belonged to a member of his security team. If that member of the security team was not in the vehicle, I don't. Where think is he going? That's got that his security much. team needs an Uzi. Yeah, and he was that was in his uh, Lambo SUV. I don't even know what a Lambo SUV oh. is, uh, but that's that's what Didn't he's know using. They around. made SUVs. Frank Clark might go down as one of the most overpaid. Uh, worst contracts in Chiefs history. He has had some wow. moments of being good, but if this... I, He's had, he was great a couple of years ago. But, but a felony illegal possession of firearm, I mean, we're, you're, looking at a, you're looking at a suspension, you know? I mean, if not, you know... So I, 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 this, is, this, is, this is bad. This is boneheaded. I mean, we'll see how it plays out. I'm always an advocate for, you know, hey, let's wait to see, but, um, you know, sure. if the allegations are correct... Not great for Mr. Clark, and could be a real, uh, real problem for the Chiefs to address moving forward. Yeah, yeah, that would be really bad. I've got a couple of additions as well. Uh, mentioned you know, going back to uh, this broke today to the aftershocks. Will Connor Fran can't be there? Oh, I don't know. It's been announced that he signed a two-year contract with Zenit St. Petersburg out of Russia. He's going to play in the EuroLeague. That's one of the top leagues that's not named the NBA, and St. Petersburg is one of the best teams. So, will he? You know, would he try to you know play with a two-year contract? I don't know about True. that. Seems seems like that's dicey. Like you'd have to go and the, do the, what the pro team tells you to do. So we'll see how that works out. One other thing, and man, I'm basically just reading off of the uh, Twitter uh, feed of Taylor Eldridge today. This guy has been busy. Doesn't he have an offseason? Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, but Wichita State is in the running. They have now offered uh, Jason Gordman, a 6'1 guard, Columbia, South Carolina, number 13 overall prospect in the country, according to rivals, a five-star class of 2022 guard from Columbia, South Carolina. So another big move. Isaac Brown, they, it has been a very, very busy offseason for the Wichita State coaching staff. That is our show for this week. We've got one more show. This is our first show of summer. We've got one more show this month. We're going to take off July 5th. So hope you have a happy 4th of July. But we will see you next week for our last show of June. And then we're off for a week. Tommy should be joining us here in a couple of weeks. So that'll be very exciting as well. For our beloved audio listeners, Weston, how can they find you on Twitter? At WBills94. I am at BE Crips on Twitter. Once again, you can follow the show at CogPod on Twitter. CogSports.com is the web address. CogPod.Podomatic.com. Appreciate the likes, 
watches, the follows, the listens, the downloads, and of course the shares. Really appreciate all the support. We will be back with you in approximately one week's time. So for Tommy Castor, our producer engineer, and for Weston Mills, Blake Cripps signing off. You have been watching Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.